as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. guys it's mark shaver here joining to talk about maggie q uh first time on one of these podcasts so thank you for inviting me um you know i'll, I'll talk real real briefly about maggie q to me i think of her first as a hong kong film actress film star right she got her start in the hong kong film industry in films at least right with the late great Benny Chan's Gen Y Cops from 2000, which she played a pretty sizable role alongside Edison Chen, Stephen Fung, Sam Lee, et cetera, right? And that film was a sequel to Gen X Cops. And to me, even though it's a silly film and it's ridiculous, but it was actually highly entertaining. I tried to watch it many years ago on an English dub tape. Couldn't deal with the dubbing. Bought the Hong Kong DVD maybe 10 years ago. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, now that, when I first actually became aware of who Maggie Q was, it was probably in about mm, 2005. Uh, the film Dragon Squad another Hong Kong film, which she played a sniper in that film. And, you know, she kind of impressed with kind of a, she actually played a pretty tough character in that, in that film, a Vietnamese sniper. Um, I remember she had a couple of gun battles, one in the cemetery, I remember was, was quite memorable. And that film was uh, Daniel Lee directed, which he had done Black Mask. And that scene reminded me of there was a fight scene in Black Mask between Jet Li and Lao Ching Wan, which had also taken place in the cemetery. And it looked like the same cemetery there in Hong Kong. I'm not sure. Um, and of course, I've seen a few of other her Hong Kong works, including Naked Weapon, which that one didn't impress me. <laughs> um, I know Wang Jing either. Um, directed it or produced it at the very least and it just it didn't it didn't vibe well with me I thought it was silly it had like the matrix style um, 
action kind of and bad special effects. But Maggie Q had certainly kind of established herself as, you know, not just somebody who could appear in, in films as a dramatic actress, but also kind of take on these action roles. So it was around that time when she really kind of transitioned more over to Hollywood, <clears throat> Mission Impossible 3. Uh, she definitely impressed in that film, and she impressed even more in Live Free or Die Hard, also known as Die Hard 4.0. Um, that film had mixed mixed reactions from the audience, but I think it's a whole hell of a lot better than, than, than Die Hard 5. <laughs> Die Hard 5 sucks. The original trilogy is classic, but part four actually is quite enjoyable, especially if you watch the unrated version. Maggie Q did great as a villain. She was tough. She, um, you know, got to square off against Bruce Willis and kind of just, I like to look in that film like the, I think she was um, some kind of a rogue FBI agent or maybe at least she was wearing that bulletproof vest and stuff. And she just had this very cool look in that film. And then I believe her final Hong Kong film was the following year, 08, with Three Kingdoms, Resurrection of the Dragon, another Daniel Lee work with Andy Lau and Samo Hung. That film was kind of subpar, uh, but she had kind of a cool look in that film as well. And um, let me think. For a while, I didn't see too many, too many films she did. I never saw like the comedies, like Balls of Fury. I I did see King of Fighters, even though I wasn't overly familiar with those video games. Um, I know it's based on a video game, fighting game series. That's kind of, I have checked it out since. It's kind of below Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Tekken, kind of somewhere down in there. <laughs> but um I mean, that film was pretty poor. Gordon Chan directed it, but Maggie Q actually really had a good opportunity to play the lead role in that film, even though it was a pretty sucky film, but, you know, she looked cool in it. She made an impression, and let's see. You know, most recently, of course, I just watched the protege Martin Campbell film, that's one I've been looking forward to. And overall, I'd, I'd list that as one of her best roles. I mean, the film was maybe not quite as fantastic as I thought it would be, but it's still a very enjoyable film. I like seeing Martin Campbell work with these Hong Kong film stars after doing The Foreigner with Jackie Chan, which was really fantastic. This one is step or two down from that I think but it had that nice clean cut action that, that Martin Campbell really has you know he's got a knack for that I mean GoldenEye, Casino Royale The Foreigner I mean this guy knows his stuff Martin Campbell I, to me he's definitely a, a highly skilled action filmmaker and it was nice to see Maggie Q kind of take advantage of, of somebody like that and uh, in my opinion, she played the starring role in the film, even though 
you know, Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Michael Keaton probably got top billing. But, you know, let's face it, it's a Maggie Q starring film. And it's, you know, there's been a lot of those female centric action films in recent years, Atomic Blonde and a whole host of other ones, right? And I mean, this one, this one, I like Atomic Blonde better, to be honest, but this one is a nice kind of, uh, it's just, it's a nice little Martin Campbell film for the collection if you're a fan. And obviously, if you're a fan of Maggie Q, who this podcast is about, you know, she she's really, I mean, she gets a ton of screen time in that film. She She did a pretty solid job in that film. So overall, I mean, sorry for my ranting or not ranting, but yapping on maybe unrelated directors and such, but uh, it was the first time uh, doing one of these. So feel free to trim it down if you, if you need to. And, you know, again, Maggie Q, I mean, she's got the right look for a, a movie star. She's got just this kind of, um, I don't know how to quite put it. You know, she's not really in your face. She doesn't strike me as uh, this, you know, attention seeker or somebody like that. I mean, she's just kind of appears to be just herself, right? Obviously playing roles in films, but I mean, you know, she's she's got a, a definite screen presence. I mean, she she is pretty versatile, I'd, I'd say. I mean, she can do action quite well. Obviously, she can do drama and apparently she can do comedy as well although i haven't seen those films but i'll have to check out more of her work but i have been a fan for for many years now ever since dragon squad and i saw that that was in january 2006 when i when i got that dvd so it's been here for what 14 years so again maggie q check her out Welcome, 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 ladies and gents. So, talking about none other than the Hawaiian-Vietnamese actress that is Maggie Q. Athlete, model, actress. What else is there to say? She's pretty cool. She sure is. Yeah, so, I remembered her, like, what what was your first introduction to her, John? Honestly, it was actually Live for a Die Hard. That's how I got introduced to her. Okay, so I was on the same boat. I would see plenty of other movies at the video store, and I was like, hmm, that looks interesting. And it took me a while to put two and two together and be realizing, oh, shit, that's her. But yeah, so Die Hard. Actually, I take it back. Mission Impossible Free, I see her, and... Most of her awesome fight scene ends up on the cutting room floor. I'm so pissed off by it still. I'm like, why would you cut a perfectly awesome fight scene? <laughs> I don't understand that to this day. I am still <laughs> pissed off at that. Damn you, J.J. Abrams. Anyway, so yeah, she's in that. She's awesome. And then she's in Die Hard 4 as the, one of the main villainous. She's awesome in that. And then, yeah, I pretty much just backtracked. I just saw that she had all these other projects planned. And I was like, hmm. She seems like a very smart person, and yet she seems to have a very shitty agent who's just not letting her 
get anything, you know, done. But I thought it was interesting how her full name is actually uh, Maggie M. Quigley. Like, okay, yep. cool. But so, yeah, she's apparently in Rush Hour 2. She's just, just this random cute chick in a car. and Which I didn't know about that until about a few months ago. Somebody showed a clip of that. Oh, uh, totally. Oh, I forgot. Mm-hmm. And then there was this other Hong Kong film called Naked Weapon. I saw that on YouTube. And despite it being a sleazy, trashy film, I do find it a watchable running man type, you know, assassins yeah. fighting to the death. A decent B-movie. And so that would just make the rounds. I had always seen it at the deceiving video store and it never looked like it was an actual good movie. But I was surprised years later. So. I would come upon some of her other stuff and I just never realized all these years that, you know, she was in a lot of Hong Kong movies and mentored by Jackie Chan. But yeah, she's in Jin Y Cops, uh, which also has a then unknown person known as Paul Rudd and <laughs> just a decent Benny Chan action film. Yeah. Um, Anderson Chin and everything. So, yeah, then she had this other bunch of stuff. Manhattan Midnight and other stuff that is hard to find. She's in that stupid Around the World in 80 Days. But I think the main thing that when yeah. I backtracked that I was just very intrigued by was the Hong Kong film uh, Dragon Heat, where she just played the very psychotic uh, uh, gangster henchman, henchwoman, going up against a bunch of... Basically, she's working with this international criminal played by Michael Bean and she's fighting uh, Simon Yam and Samo Hong's uh, various uh, crime empire. <laughs> and she just, I'd look at that one. I haven't seen that. It was directed by Daniel Lee and produced by Steven Seagal and it was a pretty kick-ass movie and it came out a year before you know, she hit it big with Mission Impossible. She's in this other movie called The Counting House, but I think the vain other thing is if you didn't see Die Hard, then you just saw Balls of Fury. <laughs> yeah, which she's honestly the best part of that movie, to be fair. Yeah, it's got its fun moments, but I, it took me seeing it on like a third time to really kind of get into it and say, okay, I can accept this in a police academy way, but it's it's not quite 100 percent there there's still a bunch of other funny people in it who aren't given funny roles if you know what i mean like yeah i thought christopher walken was going to be the highlight and he's not really used all that much even robert patrick disappointing yeah. oh yeah and even aisha tyler and the guy from mortal kombat are in it i'm like they're barely used so i'm like uh give them something more to do but it's got its moments but it's i can't recommend it to everyone um yeah, and then she's in oh uh, totally she's in this giant she reunites with director, Hong Kong director Daniel Lee and co-star Samo Hong for the Dynasty period piece, Free Kingdoms. And she's in that with Andy Lau. And people were forgetting, you know, like in the mid-2000s, there were so many giant epics. John Woo was making a comeback with Red Cliff. Donnie Yen had one called 14 mm -hmm. Blades. And uh, there was this other one uh, that had Donnie Yen called an Empress and the Warriors, also from 08, which I thought was pretty kick-ass. Um, and then there was the Warlords with Jet Li the previous year. So, yeah, it, epic stuff, all of it. And hers is definitely a highlight because she gets to really 
kind of just I think that's where I just saw, OK, she can act with her body and her mind. And so I'm like, OK, so she's not just, you know, a mindless, you know, beat him up person. She's got some kind of presence. But I, I felt it from that one out of all the movies. Just going the extra mile just slightly a bit, even though she didn't necessarily have to. So that's true. <laughs> so, John, tell us about how crazy ass the movie Deception is. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, I remember I mean, I the theater with that, and it played at a mostly crowd friendly PG 13 crowd. We're like, why the hell? They're still making very sleazy, giant, you know, basic instinct type movies with. An A-list crowd? Oh my God. They thought it would sell. That was the problem that time. Oh, oh my God. And Ugh. she's wearing barely anything. I'm like, why did they even give her this role? This is just a sleazy-ass movie. Oh, my God. That was probably producers <laughs> who were sleazy-ass guys. They probably were. I Was it by the Weinstein Company? I think it was, if I'm correct. Read it. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Writing's on the wall, and I, I have even tried to isolate myself from that movie and figure out what the fuck is going on in it, and I still, to this day, don't know what's going on in that movie. I have seen it. I, I've tried to even have fun with it in kind of a, you know, 2 a.m. kind of way, and just other than Hugh Jackman, like, everyone is just absolutely wasted in that movie, and I think Mark Bombeck is a pretty taut... Maybe that's what it was. Okay, because he was the writer of Die Hard 4, and he wrote that one as well a year later. So, yeah, that's probably it. She probably He probably told the producers, hey, she's an awesome gal, but... <sighs> no, not Weinstein. Not, Martin, not Weinstein. Yeah. No. So, hmm. she did that the same year while also playing another sleazy role called Call Girl in New York, I Love You. That reunites her with Rip Ratner from... Rush Hour 2. That movie fucking sucks. <laughs> Although it's strange, because I'm going to bring up later. That's how she got the role in that one certain film. Oh, yeah, there's some great uh, people. Mm. Even Natalie Portman directed something. Mira Noir, who's a big Indian director from Monsoon Wedding and Reluctant Fundamentalist, has like, directed that. I'm like, are you fucking for real? <laughs> people. Uh, did you see the ads for the Need for Speed video game? I believe I have. And it, uh, when, when that came out, I just remember just continually seeing the ads. I'm like, whoa, okay. Video game. That was when video games were becoming very, they would spend so much money on the, just the promos for it. And I think I did well, play did. the arcade interaction that you could do where you can test it out. And I, I was impressed. I really was. Cause I was just like, okay, so. Now they're they're really, really just, you know, she she's kind of the go to action gal. And uh, it's cool that she's kind of crossing into other media and using that. And so, yeah, she was pretty busy in 07, 08. And then she's in this other thing called in the following year in 2009 called like the Warriors and the Wolf. I can never find it, but I remember people would share clips of her where she's just again just another sleazy role for her and it's like why are they doing this to her oh my <laughs> god so what was it that just made you just keep just giving her a chance where you're just like okay she's pretty cool <laughs> it was only not only on presence that 
actually helped certain films, particularly these next few we'll get to, which honestly, like I said, usually she's usually the best part of certain films. No, totally. And that's why I always go back to it. I always hope that she would get a lead in an action movie one day. So that's why I was always hoping each time. Can only hope. (sighs) So... I liked how she just kind of made another transition. And I feel like during 2010, this was what 2011, had she not done these following junkie movies, she wouldn't have gotten the better stuff. So 2010, she stars in Operation Endgame, which has a bunch of comedians and dramatic actors, including Rob Corddry from The Daily Show Not Tub Time Machine, Ellen Barkin. Zach Galifianakis, Adam Scott, Brandon T. Jackson from Tropic Thunder, Beth Grant from Speed. I Bob Odenkirk also. <laughs> Bob Odenkirk. It's written by Sam Levinston. Ving Rhames, Jeffrey Tambor. Mm-hmm. Fuck this movie. I, I want to love this so bad. Uh, it said the fight scenes were done in like less than three hours and it was shot in 20 days. It doesn't look cheap, but yet... It's got one hell of a premise just where people bet on each other just using trading cards and it's using spies and it's got a sense of humor about it. And I was not excited or guffawing at it at all. It just felt so robotic. And let me see who helmed it. Uh, oh, Mikati. Oh, Lebanese director who, oh, he's got some other duds under him. Yeah. Yeah, this is one I've not seen. I remember reading about it like a year or two ago. I was curious, and then I started hearing from other people about how this was. I'm like, yeah. I, I tried. I, I saw one. it twice, and then I tortured myself on a third viewing. I'm just because people would keep bringing it up whenever anyone was asking, what, what's a good, what's a very clever, you know, fight to the death kind of movie or something that's kind of like Taken or The Expendables. I'm like, how did you come up with any of these? And why the hell is Ellen Barkin in this? She is a good actress. She does not deserve to be in this lowbrow movie. So, <sighs> yeah, fuck that movie. Fuck it. So hard. But, now, here's the other question. Is it as bad as the King of Fighters? <laughs> Oof. We covered Talk this on our try to watch. episode, and it had a cast to die for. I mean, is William Lee, Darth Maul, you know, Ray Park, who was also an X-Men, and then David Leach himself, future John Wick director, and then Sean Ferris, who I thought was decent, even though, you know, his claim to fame, and all the other B-action movies I've seen him in, like pawn and free runner and here he is in something junky you know i get that his claim to fame was you know the cult stupid cult movie you know never back down but this is like okay well yeah yeah he may not be even keanu reeves acceptability but i'll take him because he's at least trying and you know he doesn't really have much to work with in anything he's given but yeah it was based on a video game, and it couldn't even bother to be like Dead or Alive or any of the Mortal Kombat versions. It just felt just so distorted, and, and Maggie literally has nothing to do in this whole fucking movie. And I'm just like, God damn. It was just frustrating to watch. Really frustrating. Especially for her. It's like, come on, guys. You know she's capable, but you just don't care. Like, oh, I, don't totally. I did not, however... 
Uh, I don't think it's as bad as what we're about to get into, which is Priest. I saw this online illegally, and uh, I have tried even just in any time it's on cable TV to look at it. But I had what's funny is I had a friend in college who said this was like the only movie in the recent years that he had actually just walked out on. He just thought he would like it because it was apocalyptic. He likes sci-fi fantasy movies and vampires. And he's like, this doesn't deliver anywhere, anytime. And it's like, he's like, nope. And what's funny is he was an apologist on just weird, spooky, you know, ambiguous thrillers like David Lynch or even The Da Vinci Code. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take that with a grain of salt. And yeah, this Scott Stewart guy, he had done Legion and a bunch of other stuff like Dark Skies. And then it's like, he said... He might have a huge body of work, but he doesn't. He is not a director, that is for sure. <laughs> no, he's not. I, and sadly, I mean, like I keep saying, like Car and I'd say even Carl Urban have probably the best plots of race, but that's not saying. Uh, I I really tried because Carl Urban was another one. This is where you know, this is a year before Dread, where he was just instantly you know in geekdom from this point on, and yeah, I mean it had cameos by brad dura from christopher Plummer, and i was just yeah. like what the oh. fuck are you doing with it matching now meg there's a twin peaks reference and i'm like what are you doing <laughs> and they they <sighs> not make use of her at all it was a very sad affair and there's one boy that's why i call this movie baffling it really baffling because I don't need anything. I don't care if you're doing a Lost Boys, Near Dark, or even Blade-type knockoff. I, I just want to have fun, and there's just zero fun. and Zero fun at all. But it's all good, because, you know, the same year she did King of Fighters and Operation Endgame, she starred as Nikita for four years. Right. Have you gotten to any of that? If not, we'll just move on. <laughs> I've been wanting to, but... Every time I try to keeps getting taken happens. off the streaming platforms. Um, somehow. Somehow. One day I will. Trust me. Totally. It's a very badass show, much like Burn Notice in 24. It just had that, and even the Equalizer, it just had that cool, just fugitive on the run. And hmm. people, much like with all the other stuff, you know, you can say what you want with, about it. It's just like, well, I'm, I'm going to give them all the credit that they deserve there because, you know, from this point on, I think everyone started taking her more and more seriously. They're like, she rocks in this Canadian show. There's a bunch of CSI directors working on it, and she's doing as many of her own stunts as she can, except for, obviously, you know, stuff like, you know, being thrown through a window. But <laughs> it, it, I think yeah, everyone at that obvious. point said, hey, we like her as a dramatic presence, and now we especially love her as a martial artist, and, you know, it's like one of the few reboots that no one seemed to have a problem with. If you weren't familiar with the Luke Besson film or, and you know, it had been years after USA network cable TV show. And it was funny. They would mention a few loose uh, Easter eggs, even bring in a few actors who were best known for recurring roles on the previous cable TV show. So it was just so funny. how Yeah. Uh, it just all worked that way, but uh yeah i she owned the role and she'll always be remembered for it in some capacity there's just no getting around that so you know she's got you know again two giant movie franchise sequels 
but she's pretty much immoralized, I think, from that point. She really was. Because it's like, yeah. TV is just a good... This is where everyone was trying a few different things, and they are being a little more experimental before just more rating wars happened. Um, so she has a small, small, small role in the first three in the Divergent trilogy. And I just find it so funny how that's like listed on Wikipedia. I'm like, don't flatter yourself. She's barely in this fucking thing. <laughs> that's probably uh, a good thing. Cause yeah. yeah those. You, Ray Stevenson has more screen time than her. And we all know he's barely in that as well. So Mickey Pfeiffer's in it longer than her <laughs> and he's barely in it as well. So am I getting through? Um, yeah, no, I, those again, like Hunger Games. Those are movies I joke about. I I don't take them seriously at all because why the fuck would you? I, give me The Running Man or Surviving the Game or Hard Target any day. Just <laughs> <sighs> on a tournament, I'd say. Yeah. So then she I'd was on. Oh, Dolly is head baffling, head scratching. So then she was on a CBS serial killer show called uh, Stalker. She starred in alongside Mira Servino and. Her uh, fiance, uh, Dylan McDermott, and it seemed like they broke that off after a while, which was kind of puzzling, but whatever. Uh, I always wanted to see it. I would see parts of it. But again, you know, there's so much shit on at that point. How do you keep up with it? Um, She starred in it alongside uh, Elizabeth Rom, who you remember as Serena, you know, blonde lawyer gal from Law and Order. Mm. Yep. Mm hmm. Everyone's got attention if Elizabeth Rom enters the room. But yeah, Bill and McDermott was well, the lead. Angel, the first two seasons of Angel, but you know. Oh, yes, she is. Yes, <laughs> she is. Oh, uh, so it was one hell of a cast, and yeah. it was just, Eon Bailey from Band of Brothers was also in it. Um, and it was just one of those CBS just wanted another Criminal Minds following type show. And that's the other thing. Yeah, Kevin Williamson of Scream and the following created it so it was kind of just one of those just back-to-back kind of things you know you just you know put a cool serial killer show on and see if people watch it and it has a decent imdb rating and i saw a lot of people saying it was pretty creepy but i remember seeing one guy make a very pretentious like argument and it, he just sounded like one of those parents television council guys who just assumes that every movie oh, is like illustrating a point i'm like well this would make sense if it had opened that kind of argument, but I mean, like the argument was basically over, oh, this is giving people bad ideas by showing kidnappings. I'm like, that's literally serial killer 101. It didn't go even stoop the level of having them be just someone with a mental dysfunction or some other bullshit. It just went to straight up to, hey, let's see some weird, just, you know, incels or other shit before that was really a thing but apparently it ended on a cliffhanger so if anyone's gonna watch it just be prepared to just make up your own ending (laughs) fuck where does anyone find the time uh so moving on moving on so got another tv gig she's then in she kind of becomes the comedy and horror queen for a while She's in this very cool uh, computer hacking movie called uh, The Crash. Also known as Jekyll Island. And basically, it's just about a bunch of these guys who are just hackers. 
and listed by the federal government to, to thwart a cyber attack. So I really dug it. It just kind of gave it a big, giant-ass, like, cyberpunk kind of feel. Just talking <laughs> about corporations and all the scum. <clears throat> what a cast. A giant-ass cast. Mary McCormick from In Plain Sight and West Wing and John Leguizamo, <clears throat> who's the main hacker who, you know, is being wheeled around and... Uh, uh, Maggie comes in and she's basically his helper slash girlfriend. And so it's like, it was cool seeing her in kind of a knit cap. And again, she just kind of just allows the subtleties. It's like, okay, see, she can really stand out in a small, dramatic, thankless role. <laughs> Regardless of what little dialogue, everyone else just often just stands around and just overacts or, you know, if it's they don't know how to do it. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, just, yeah. any, any other actor that I've seen is often just struggles or just often looks to a director for a cue. And she, none of these people were looking for a cue and doing pretty good. And Frank Grillo, yes, from the Purge and Captain America's here, Christopher McDonald from Happy Gilmore and Mini Driver. So I saw it. I saw it on either stars or HBO. I'm sure you can find it on one of the streaming platforms. See it's on Pluto TV. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Check out they are. <laughs> Pretty decent conspiracy thriller, and it, it literally goes by so fast you're you're not gonna have a problem with it at all. Oh, it's on um, TV. Oh, even better. There you I'll, go. I'll check out uh, So then she's in the horror movie Slumber. So Try I think that kind of <laughs> yeah, just another. She's a sleep doctor, and she just. It's just another Nightmare on Elf Street type of movie. Someone's attacking you in your dreams. What do you do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's on Hulu. And then she's in this other giant-ass uh, Ocean's Eleven type comedy called The Con is On with Tim Roth, Uma Thurman, Sophie Vergara, and Alice e. I have never seen it. And she's not even on the poster, even though she's credited on it. So I, was, I had heard it sucks, and I will take Munson's other movie, Shout Outs, uh, Solution, when they cover Tim Roth. Avoid, 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 avoid. Good acting. Avoid, 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 avoid. So. <laughs> and she's in this animated international movie called Modest Heroes. Never even heard of it. Neither. <laughs> she voiced Wonder Woman on Young Justice. I always saw part of that. I knew it was one of the best DC cartoons, but again, who has the time? Either way, it's one of the it's rated one of the best, and its voiceovers include Phil Lamar, Kelly Hu, Arnold Voslo, and Bruce Greenwood. So take up that with as you will. Have you seen any of Designated Survivor? So I haven't seen any of that. <laughs> Trust me, I've been it, trying to. It is BAMF. So BAMF. And I know Kiefer and a bunch of the other actors, I think Cal Penn were like, she is just so awesome to play off of. She's just, you don't know how she's going to react to you in the scene. I'm like, that's that's some compliment right there. <laughs> it was created by David Guggenheim, who had done movies such as Stolen with Nick Cage and Safe House with Denzel. He's currently writing those stupid Christmas movies where Kurt Russell plays Santa Claus. But, hey, um. <laughs> it, this was kind of his foot in the door where he's like, hey, you're going to come up with just a 
crazy Air Force One Olympus has fallen type premise. What would happen if everyone got devastated on Capitol Hill and you just one of the other people who are, you know, secretary of the interior becomes the president overnight. <laughs> I, I dug it. I always felt like it was a more classier version of 24. There was no, you know, women running around just uselessly. And, and you just always had a sense that just nothing good could happen around the corner. And, you know, West Wing went with a different direction of the walk and talk and sharp dialogue and, Madam Secretary was kind of more of a comedy drama that was set in Washington. And this one, I really just dug the mystery of it all. And I felt like every actor just flat out just went against type. Um, and I, I, I light up whenever I see any of these other actors. It's just, I just know they're just going to kill it. Like Zoe McLellan, who had been on NCIS New Orleans, was just great. And... I mean, it was a giant ass production when you're produced by Mark Gordon of speed and, you know, saving private Ryan and criminal minds fame. <laughs> you're in for a treat. So, but, but yeah, she was the main FBI agent and her mentor was Malik Yoba, who many will know from cool runnings in New York undercover. And it was just so cool how she had to learn how to be professional while voicing her on professional, you know, out of term opinion. And then, you know, be on to the lead of the assassin and then nearly getting framed, you know, <laughs> and it, it just when when you're the B plot, you know, you're only it, it's just so hard to do. You don't know how much time is going to be spent on you and, you know, compared to the main plot. And I just loved how it intersected. Both plots intersected without feeling like, you know, one was more interesting than the other or other shit like that. I really because other shows do that so bad where you're just like, mm, oh, yeah. next fast forward button, the subplot sucks. Just a of time. That's all it is. <laughs> just a matter of time. Oh, man. Time to fill time. Here we go. Here's a subplot. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> and again, yeah, uh, we couldn't help it. Like, my, my mother and I were just loyal fans for all three years. And it just... I actually th was satisfied with the final year on Netflix, but others weren't. But I'm like, no, you guys were clearly not paying all that much attention. If you got to fill all in all the gaps in, then you're just not ready to watch TV nowadays. You're not going to get it all. But I just loved how we would just after a while just say it's the president, Jack Bauer and Nikita show. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what it is. But it's a different kind of awesome. So. <sighs> um. She's in that, and I didn't even watch the horror version of Fantasy Island. Who the hell thought that was a good idea? I tried watching it, and it's from what I've seen, it's a complete waste of time. Of truth or dare. Uh. And Cry Wolf, of all things. Cry. Oh. <laughs> so. Oh, God, Jeff Wadlow. Fuck you. <laughs> Who almost got hit by his bodyguard, which would have been depressing. That would have happened. But thank God it didn't happen. Anyway. I will actually give a kind review to his movie Prey, where Bridget Moynihan and Peter Weller are terrorized by a tiger in a van. But it's not for everyone. But yeah, all his other movies, oh my god. He like wrote like two episodes of like Bates Motel and what season was that? Ooh. Well, he lucked out there. Kick ass two, fuck that movie. 
Um, <sighs> yeah. True Memoirs of an International Assassin, The Strain, Pass, 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 Bloodshot, that's whatever. <laughs> Somewhere along the way it said he was involved with nonstop. What was he on that? <sighs> producer? I would probably so. So there you go. He probably just contributed an earlier draft that didn't work. I <laughs> got rerun. Um <laughs> Ooh, man. I think I just got cancer reading that damn resume. <sighs> oh, I will roast you on an episode later, Jeff Ladlow. But, yeah, so I'll take your word for it. 22 on Metacritic. I trust them over Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Not a highlight for Blumhouse. I, I didn't even see anyone even talk about it, like, after it came out. They're just like, yep, it came out. <laughs> Pretty much it just came and went. So. so then she is in an all-star comedy drama movie called The Argument. It's about a relationship. She starts with everybody hates Chris, Tyler, James, Williams. She plays the boyfriend of Danny Pudi, who many know from Community. Ovid. She's with Dan Fogler, so this reunites her with her, you know, Balls of Fury yeah. co-star. Oh, man, so I haven't seen, but it's got some decent reviews. I want to see this other horror movie that popped up on Netflix called The Death of Me. She stars opposite of Luke Hemsworth. And a vacationing couple must discover the mystery behind a strange video that shows one of them killing the other. Sold. So the director of Saw 2, 3, and 4. So. Yep, and Spiral. <laughs> Quality. And spiral quality but no i'll check it out because i at least like parts of tells of halloween the only real movie i remember from him was the barons but that was just one of those it ha it was interestingly shot and the premise was all good it just needed some better editing but he's probably best known for some better reviewed stuff like the devil's carnival and tells of halloween so yeah it's on netflix so i can't lose anything <laughs> compared to trying to do a franchise slash prequel slash spinoff of whatever James Wan comes up with. That's what it seems like. So, I think we're ready to talk about The Protégé! Of course. <laughs> Why is it badass? Well, not only just because of <laughs> not just because of her, but also Michael Keaton also shines, you know, as someone you don't entirely know if he's working for the villains or not, and they do a great job playing off that throughout the film. And also, him and Maggie have fantastic chemistry, particularly in the restaurant scene, which. I always love going back to each time. Was Sam Jackson well used, would you say? I'd say he's well used. I'm not going to say anything more than that. <laughs> but there's one in particular fight scene with Michael Keaton, which is pretty badass and shines. 
actually shines even more than Maggie Q, surprisingly, but she still gets her moment, of course. But I mean, Sweet. Martin Campbell, he, yep. I mean, what more can I say about him? The, that man knows how to shoot action and how to tell a story. And he proves it here with a sense of humor, which I also appreciated with this. Totally. Some of those filmmakers just try to be ultra pretentious and not have any fun. And this one knew that it was fun and it went with it. That's why I appreciate that. Totally. So, so she I defend that really to this day. But, uh, roast it. So she had <laughs> one episode of a canceled Fox sitcom called Pivoting. Never seen or heard of it, so that's how much they cared. I she, it already. <laughs> there you go. So Damn, the movie, <laughs> that's how bad it is. Long Gone Heroes is a movie she's got upcoming with Ben Kingsley called Long Gone. It's about a special forces soldier who gave up country, religion, and even hope and must return to the field of battle to track down a reporter he left behind in the middle of an illegal private contract operation that went wrong. Hmm. I don't know, man. That poster yeah. looks pretty lame. <sighs> wow, that looks more like a video game cover. Anything else? It really does. It's like, were they just desperate and they just got some random artwork? I don't know. I think so. The other thing she's got is Cutman. Two broken souls find each other at a desolate motel and find revenge and redemption. <sighs> I'm not sure about that. Stars Lenny Kravitz. Who, she worked technically with his daughter Zoe on Divergence. That's as interesting a connection as I can paint. I remember they were talking about this when she was interviewed with Produce, so I mean, I'll check it out if they film it somehow. That's some interesting people involved. But Yeah. Not to say. <laughs> I think that's all she has. What would you like to see her do in the future? What's interesting, I know she was, she said she wanted to be in a Bond film, and yet they Mm. declined her because she said she wasn't pretty enough. Oh, those. Dick. That's apparently what they said. That's just so much wrong. I don't get that, guys. Come on. Yeah, well, first off, you're wrong. She is very beautiful, but oh yeah, she's also just really good at just working in like any kind of intimidation factors. You never know what you're gonna get from her in any kind of role. You believe pretty much everything she says. She may not win awards, but she's hardly what I would call just you know someone who just wasn't ready to. I felt like she was definitely an actor first, and yet at the same time like oh yeah. She appeared in a bunch of action movies, so. She's shown she has range throughout her career. She's not just an action star. She can She's just comedy and horror. It's been very fortunate because when she, I think it also just helped that, you know, we saw her in all those various PETA ads and everything. But, like, there'd be times where I would just be going to random third-party sites and I would see her pop up in this whole uh, eating healthier with this kind of apple formula. I was like, okay, so. I think she basically 
just played every kind of card she could pick. I think she picked enough brains in any movie. She just picked a bunch of ensembles. So it was just like, hey, I don't have to do anything that, you know, relies too much on me carrying the movie. And then when she got Nikita, I think that's pretty much when everyone was like, okay, now we definitely want you to carry a movie. (laughs) Hopefully she gets a chance to do that again sometime soon. Mm -hmm. Like hopefully. Totally, totally. I could even say, bring her back from Mission Impossible. No, I'm just kidding now. (laughs) She'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you so much for being on here, bro. Always glad to be here. Another day where we just talk to death while the world burns. Okay, so. Well, hopefully 2022 has some interesting movies. That's what I'm hoping for. I'll be seeing my first one next week, so. And District 10's coming out, the sequel to District 9. I'm like, yes, please. I said that years ago. <laughs> well, let's hope it's good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if Neil Blomkamp's directing or not if it's somebody else. I'm not sure. I haven't checked. Let's hope. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin cough, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's 
because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Greetings, friends. My name is Dean Legero, and I'm the host of the 3324 Podcast. I invite you to join me and my lifelong friend Eric Kuber to come with us as we discuss the music and movies that shaped our life. Each week, we'll pick an album or film that we really connect to and not only give you some great info and trivia, but also discuss, debate, and celebrate what it means to us and the journey it took us on. We also look forward to hearing from you and giving us some of your picks for us to check out and discuss. I think it'll be a really fun experience, so come along with us for the ride. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, and at 3324.buzzsprout.com. Thanks for your time, and welcome to the 3324 family. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple of brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit With a one last plot holes a gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.